Corinthians 12 from verse 1. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is the first. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts of the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service of the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these empowered by one and the same Spirit. We apportions to each one individually as he is. It's the word of the Lord. Uh, it would be great if you could have um, 1 Corinthians 12 uh, open in front of you, and uh, we'll be following um, that passage closely this morning. Um, just to uh, give you a little bit of context, uh, last week we finished uh, our series in the Old Testament book of Zechariah, and uh, today we're um, picking up a new series uh, in the New Testament letter of 1 Corinthians. And uh, we're picking it up from uh, chapter 12 because uh, we've already covered the first 11 chapters uh, last year. Um, well, friends, uh, every year around October, uh, if you head over to the International Convention Center in Derby Harbor, you will come across the Mind Body Spirit Festival. Has anyone heard of the Mind Body Spirit Festival here before? Yeah, quite a few of us. It's a rapidly growing festival that has now expanded uh, into Melbourne uh, as well as Brisbane, which claims to bring you the very best of healthy eating as well as spiritual guidance. Uh, if you go around to the stalls, uh, no doubt you'll find some stalls that you know, are simply trying to sell you healthy food. But equally, there will be many stalls that say can put you in touch with the spiritual world. And there will be clairvoyance who will read tarot cards for, for you, for example. There will be people who uh, will teach you how you can get in touch with the angels. There will be many people who claim that you can have paranormal experiences if only you can get in touch with the spiritual world that is beyond the material. Now, this is really strange, don't you think? I mean, on the one hand, we can almost intuitively feel that our society is becoming more and more secular. Do you feel that? Uh, I mean, uh, the latest census uh, tells us that a growing number of people in our society uh, are ticking the no religion box, for example, which probably means they don't feel much affiliation to organized religions. And yet, on the other hand, it seems that there is an increasing thirst for things that seem spiritual. It seems that whether or not you identify as secular, human beings 
simply cannot stop wondering whether there is something beyond this world, beyond this material world, that will give meaning to our lives. Is that true? Well, uh, this morning, as I said, we're looking at uh, uh, 1 Corinthians, and uh, if you were around last year, uh, you will know that we had a great time looking at the first 11 chapters. Um, and so today we're picking it up from chapter 12. But it seems that one of the big problems in the Corinthian church was that their understanding of spirituality was more and more shaped by the wisdom of the world rather than God's wisdom. How does the world understand spirituality? Well, uh, the world understands spiritual, spirituality in terms of the miraculous and the impressive and the extraordinary, doesn't it? You know, those who seem impressive or can do extraordinary things, uh, they are, are the ones who seem spiritual to us. And so it seems that the Corinthian church thought that being truly spiritual and in touch with God was all about having miraculous and impressive and extraordinary gifts as we will see in the next few weeks. And I want to ask this morning, have you ever thought like this? Have you ever thought that it's really those people in church who seem to be able to do extraordinary things or have really impressive gifts? They're the ones who are more in touch with God than little old me, who is a spiritual flock. Who are the people who are truly spiritual? Are you somebody who is truly spiritual in God's eyes? Well, it's because of uh, this problem that Paul begins our chapter today by speaking about true spirituality. Uh, now, if you have a look at verse 1, grab your Bibles, have a look at verse 1. Uh, you'll notice there that Paul begins by saying, Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. And so it seems that Paul wants to speak about spiritual gifts here, doesn't it? But uh, do you guys have a little footnote next to the word spiritual gifts? Uh, what does the little footnote say at the end of uh, that page? Can somebody call it out? spiritual person or spiritual people. Uh, and that's because uh, in the original Greek language of the New Testament, uh, the word gifts is not actually there. Uh, I think the translators here, uh, uh, they've jumped the gun a little bit because Paul does speak about the gifts later on. But here, I think he's speaking about spiritual things in general uh, or spiritual people in particular. You see, Paul doesn't want the Corinthian church to be ignorant and simply think about spirituality like the rest of the world, you see. And so, what does a truly spiritual person look like? Well, uh, notice that Paul shows us firstly what it doesn't look like. For it doesn't look like pagan idolatry, which was what the Corinthians were before they became Christians. Uh, that's why Paul says in verse 2, uh, you know that when you 
straight to mute idols, however you were led. I mean, think about it, friends. Uh, if you lived in that ancient world and you saw these people sort of walking into pagan temples and bowing down to, to statues of, of, of the gods and so forth, you would probably think that they were spiritual people, basically. Well, that's how the world thinks. Even today, when people see sees a Hindu person, for example, walking into a Hindu temple, or a Buddhist person walking into a Buddhist temple, or a Muslim person walking into a mosque, people will think, well, they are spiritual people. And yet, can you see that what Paul says here is that that is not really what true spirituality is all about. What does true spirituality look like then? Who is the truly spiritual person? Well, the truly spiritual person is the one who has the Holy Spirit of God living in them, such that they can confess Jesus to be their Lord and God. And so that the truly spiritual person is the one who has the Holy Spirit living in them, so that they are enabled to call Jesus their Lord and God. As you see there in verse 3, aren't you? Paul says, Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is a curse. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now this is very important, friends. For the world sees spirituality in terms of uh, impressive gifts that makes you that, that, that make it seem like you are a spiritual person and in touch with the spiritual. But what Paul says is that the truly spiritual person is the one who has the Holy Spirit. And what is the role of the Holy Spirit? Well, the role of the Holy Spirit is to take you from a life of rejecting God to bring you to a point where you are now submitting to Jesus as your wonderful Lord and God. Now, it's not just about saying the words, Jesus is Lord, is it? I mean, um, I can teach a parrot to say Jesus is Lord. Uh, that doesn't make the parrot any closer to God uh, than other animals. Rather, it's about having a genuine conviction that Jesus is the Lord and God of my life so that I now no longer live for myself, but live for Him. I mean, think about it, friends. Uh, it, it's often easy, I think, uh, to think that when people have miraculous or extraordinary or impressive abilities and gifts, to think that God is truly at work in them, isn't it? But I want to say, the most miraculous work of God is to take a person like Huey, who was once a hardened sinner, somebody who had his heart against the Lord Jesus, and to transform him, to create a new person out of him, so that he now worships Jesus as Lord. That's what is truly miraculous. For the work of the Holy Spirit is to shine a light on Jesus so that you can see Jesus truly for who he is. Uh, I don't know whether you like to see musicals. 
sing musicals from time to time. Um, yeah, quite a few of us. Um, I love musicals. The last musical I saw was uh, The School of Rock um, at the Capitol Theatre. Uh, wonderful, uh, fantastic. And, you know, uh, when you go and see a musical, um, you, you'll always notice that uh, on top of the stage there is a spotlight, isn't there? And what is the role of that spotlight? Well, it's the role of the spotlight is to shine a light on the main character so that you can keep your eyes focused on the main character, whoever that might be. You see, that's the role of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is like a spotlight that shines His light on Jesus so that you and I can see Jesus clearly for who He is, the Lord and God. Sometimes uh, evangelical Christians are often criticized by other Christians for not believing in the Holy Spirit. Uh, has anyone come across that kind of uh, criticism before? Um, uh, they'll say funny things like, um, you know, you guys, you don't believe in the Trinity. Uh, the Trinity that you believe in is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Bible. Has anyone ever heard that before? Testing uh, by your reaction, um, no. But uh, that's what a lot of people say. You know, Bible-believing Christians, you guys don't believe in the Holy Spirit and all that the Holy Spirit can do. But you see, it's because they don't understand the role of the Holy Spirit. For the role of the Holy Spirit is not to focus attention on Himself, but the role of the Holy Spirit is to focus attention on Jesus. And so, honoring the Holy Spirit in our lives, we do it by making much of Jesus in our lives, you see. That's how we acknowledge and honor the Holy Spirit of God. And so, um, are you a spiritual person? Are you someone who has the Holy Spirit living in you? Well, if you are somebody who can genuinely confess that Jesus is your Lord and God, then what Paul says here is that you are a truly spiritual person. Isn't that good news? And if you are a truly spiritual person who has the Holy Spirit of God living in you, then you do not lack anything in your life, in your Christian life. And so don't let others look down on you because you don't have this gift or that ability or this gift or this ability. In truth, if you have the Holy Spirit, you have everything that matters. Now, uh, in the next few verses, Paul goes on to say that truly spiritual people need to understand the purpose of the gifts that God gives to them. Truly spiritual people need to understand the purpose of the gifts that God gives to them. And you can see there uh, in the passage that God is the one who generously gives gifts to his people. Uh, in verse 4 he says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Notice, friends, 
the variety, the huge variety of gifts that God gives here. I love the fact that our God is a God of variety. Don't you? You know, the other day I went to the fruit shop and I thanked God that He didn't give us one generic fruit. He could have just given us an apple. But He gave us tens of different apples and bananas and, you know, thousands of different fruit for us to enjoy. Well, think about the billions of people who live on this planet. You know, everyone has two eyes and one nose and one mouth and two ears, and yet God could have made everyone look like Huey. But aren't you glad that God didn't make you look like me and no two people in this world, the billions of people, look exactly the same. You see, God is a God of variety, and it is the same with the gifts that God gives to His people. Notice also that the entire Godhead is intimately involved in the giving of these gifts. That is, although we often call these gifts spiritual gifts, they are not just given by the Holy Spirit. But in verse 5, they are also given by the Lord Jesus Christ. And in verse 6, they are given by God the Father, who empowers them all in everyone. That is, in the Bible, it's not as though God does his business over here and Jesus does something completely different over here. And if we really follow the Spirit, then he will lead us into the weird and wonderful, completely apart from the Father and the Son. No! The three persons of the one God are united in what they do, and in this case, what they do is they are all involved in giving the gifts. Third, can you see that God does not withhold his gifts from anyone? In fact, at the end of verse 6, it says that God empowers the gifts in who? In everyone. And in verse 11, the Holy Spirit, uh, sorry, in verse 7, it's to each Christian person that God gives a gift to And in verse 11, the Holy Spirit apportions the gift to each individual as he wills. That is, if you are a Christian person, friends, then you do not miss out on a gift. In fact, uh, in my sort experience, I have never met a Christian person who possesses only one gift from God. Such is the generosity of God that most people possess multitudes of different gifts. But here's the thing, friends. Notice that the most important thing about these gifts is not the gifts themselves, but the purpose for why they have been given to us by God. And why are they given? Well, you can see that in verse 7, can't you? Verse 7 is a key verse in this passage. For it says, to each person is given the manifestation of the Spirit. Why? Well, for the common good. In other words, the reason why God gives you gifts, the reason why God gives me gifts, is so that we can use it for the common good and for the building up of the people of God. Friends, this is why coming to church physically is so important in the Christian life. This 
is why the person who forever joins church on Zoom or on live streams, and I'm not speaking about joining you know, for good reasons, because we're sick or we're on holidays or uh, we have other reasons why we can't come to church. But generally speaking, the person who forever joins on Zoom does not understand what God is saying here. For it is impossible to use your gifts for the common good and for the benefit of others if you are not with others, you see. If you are not meeting with others on a regular basis. That's why church is not an optional extra for the Christian person to go only when it's convenient or if there are no other better things on on that Sunday. Rather, it is a way to be obedient to God in using our gifts for the good of others, just like our Lord Jesus, who died on the cross not for his own sake, but for the benefit of sinners like him and me. But here's a million dollar question you're all asking. How do I know what my gift is? How do I know what my gift is? Well, uh, I think many people ask this question because they think that when they can identify their gifts, they will start to use their gifts in ways that benefit others for the common good. But here's what I think. I think what Paul is saying here is that what your gift is is not as important as the purpose for why gifts are given. In fact, sometimes it's even better not to use your gift if it will not benefit others. For example, uh, if uh, you know, Peter is an amazing rock electric guitarist, but if Peter was part of a congregation where everyone was, you know, average age of 80, then the way Peter will serve the common good. It's not by blowing people away with his electric guitar, but by refraining to use his gift. For that is of more benefit to the people around him, you see. But what I have observed is that it is those people who understand the purpose for why the gifts are given who generally discover what their gifts are. And how does that happen? Well, they are the people who will make themselves available to serve others and help others and benefit others uh, however they can. They come to church early and speak to new people. When something needs to be done, they don't say, well, well, somebody else will do that, but they get up and try to meet that need. They just try different things because their concern is not with what gifts God has given me, but their concern is because they want to be helpful to the life of the body of Christ, you see. Sometimes they will try things and realize that it's not their gift because no one is encouraged. Other times they will try things and discover that other people are encouraged, which may indicate that it is their gift. I don't know whether you've ever watched The Try Guys on YouTube. Has anyone watched The Try Guys? Some, uh, some of us who watch a lot of YouTube, I can tell. But uh, my daughter put me onto the Try Guys, and it's basically a group of grown men who go around trying things. That's all it is. For a 
simple in one episode, they try to bake a cake without a recipe. In another, they try to eat everything on the menu at KFC and get sick. In another, they try to endure 15 minutes of labor pain stimulation so that they can know what it's like giving birth. But you see, the way you discover your gifts is to be a tribe. <laughs> or be a tribe. It's not that we want to be, you know, try things in order to be self-fulfilled like these people on YouTube. Rather, it's because we want to serve the common good and be as helpful and beneficial towards others as we possibly can. Are you like this? Are you like this? Do you understand the purpose for why God has given you gifts? Now, sometimes I think it's easy for us to shy away from serving the common good because we don't think we're good enough. Or because we think it's more humble to think to say that, oh, I can't really do that. But I want you to see that to be given gifts by God and refuse to use those gifts is not being humble. It is actually being arrogant before God who gives you these things so that you can benefit others. For God gives each one of us wonderful gifts that we can use so that as a body, as a church, as God's people, we can be built up and the common good served. In the final part of our passage, what Paul does is he gives us a bit of a picture of what it might look like for spiritual people to be using their gifts for the common good. And you can see there that Paul starts to describe some specific gifts that God may give to his people. Now, notice, friends, that uh, Paul toggles here between gifts that require words and other more extraordinary or miraculous gifts. So, for example, in verse 8, he mentions some gifts that requires words, doesn't he? The utterance of wisdom is about speaking words that help apply God's, God's word to the various circumstances of life. The utterance of knowledge is speaking words that help people understand the content of what God says in, in the Bible, in his word. And in verse 9, Paul toggles to some of the more extraordinary gifts. And so he mentions the gift of faith. Now, this can't be the gift of saving faith, because uh, notice Paul's point here is that not everyone possesses uh, uh, all of these gifts, whereas every Christian possesses saving faith. And so I think Paul is thinking of the kind of extraordinary faith and prayerfulness that leads to the salvation of others. Similarly, you can see in the same verse that Paul speaks about gifts of healing, which may be miraculous, healing, or it may simply be people in the church using ordinary means, such as medicine, to provide healing for others. But he doesn't discount the miraculous, because of course God can do the miraculous, as he mentions specifically the working of miracles. 
see these kind of gifts all the time at our church. You know, when I go to morning tea and I see, you know, Yvonne Koo uh, sharing her experience of how she has persevered for 50 years as a wife and as a mother and persevered in her Christian life, sharing her experiences with younger Christian people, I see the gift of wisdom. Or when I see uh, Ray explaining a part of the Bible to somebody else who seems a little bit confused about what they heard at church that morning, well, I see the gift of knowledge. When I see some of us who are doctors trying to help others who have health issues, I see the gift of healing. Or when I see an older Christian trying to warn a new believer to stay away from, you know, that strange cult that seems to be inviting them back for, for more and more Bible study, well, I see the ability to distinguish between spirits. But when I see Julie uh, speaking Chinese to a new person who is more comfortable speaking in that language, I see the gift of tongues. You see, if those normal people like you and me exercise their God-given gifts for the common good week after week after week, that our church is built up for the glory of God. Now, I think it's uh, God's providence and good timing we didn't plan it this way, but I think it's God's timing that today we are welcoming new partners into the life of our church family. But what a wonderful thing it is when the Holy Spirit takes hold of a person so that he or she can confess Jesus to be their Lord and God, and when they come to a point where they say, well, I'm going to now be committed to serving others with the gifts that God has given me. So that is what our new partners are signing up to do today, isn't it? But here's the really important point. I want you to see that what they are doing is not something that is unusual. It's not that they are more spiritual than other Christians. No, what they are doing is what every Christian ought to be doing. For if I am a truly spiritual person who, by the power of the Holy Spirit, understands just how much Jesus has acted for my good when he died on the cross for my sins, I will be a person who cannot help but use whatever God has given me for the good of others. That's what spiritual person and every Christian person is a spiritual person. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us today and we thank you especially for the work of your spirit in our lives, opening up our eyes to see Jesus as our Lord and God. We thank you that in your generosity you have sent our Lord Jesus, not only to die on the cross for us, but also to pour out his gifts to each one of us so that we might use them to build up the church and the people that you have. Father, 
please forgive us for the times when we have failed to serve others, perhaps as a result of our selfishness. Please help us to be more like Jesus in using our lives and the gifts and the resources that you've given us to serve others and to do whatever we can for the common good and the building up of your people. Give us the strength and empower us more and more to do this. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, friends, uh, those with the Holy Spirit confess Jesus as